Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. So Kelly and I, we love being parents. We love being parents. We love TJ to death. Uh, I remember when TJ was born, uh, October 1st, 2014, it was a Wednesday morning uh, the Tuesday night before, I was playing basketball with some boys like I did every Tuesday night at that time, and then we went to cookout at 11 o'clock at night because that's just what we did after working out, after exercising, we decided to go to cookout and get some hot dogs. Um, and so then we come back home, and I remember laying down on the bed at 1 o'clock a.m., and then at 3 o'clock a.m., I get woken up and say, Michael, it's time to go to the hospital. We get up real quick, we go to the hospital. Uh, TJ's born that Wednesday morning, about 11.30-ish, somewhere around there. And then, of course, you've got to spend two nights in the hospital. And let me just tell you, for those of you who it's been a long time since you've been there, that's terrible, especially for the dad. And I'm sure pretty much the same for the mom. That little bitty couch, I'm not a little bitty guy. I'm a full-size, extra-large center on basketball. Like, I'm a big dude. And sleeping on that little bitty couch, that little pull-out deal was not cool. Anyway, we made it through it, and then we got home. It was Friday, and it was time for us to take TJ home. And I will never forget, the nurse told us when she helped us get to the car, helped us put TJ's car seat in the car, the nurse told us these words. She said, when you guys get home, talking to Callie and I, do not forget about each other. said, I know you've got another person in your life now. You've got a baby you're taking care of, but do not forget to spend time with each other. And I looked that nurse square in the face, and I said, ma'am, spending time with each other is what got us here to begin with, right? Like, I think we're good for a little while. And so six years later, we're going back again, and uh, we're going to do it all over again. Uh, I remember when we brought TJ home, Kelly and I was nervous. We didn't, none of us had a clue. I didn't, I don't have any brothers or sisters. I'm an only child, so I didn't have like a, like a baby sister or brother that I grew up older than helping take care of. I knew nothing about babies. I'd never changed a diaper till TJ was born. Um, I'd never fed a baby till TJ was born. I'd held very few babies before TJ. And so I remember when we got home on that Friday afternoon thinking, like, what in the world are we going to do? Like, there's this human right here that we are responsible for. Like, if anything happens for, to him, CPS is going to come talking to us. Like, we're responsible. Like, it's on us if something goes down uh, with this kid. And I remember we had a couple of goals on that Friday, that Friday morning or Friday afternoon when we got home. Uh, one was uh, we wanted to make sure we got TJ out of the car in the car seat safely. I've never taken a car seat out of a car with a baby in it before. So I wanted to make sure I didn't take it out and, like, tip it over and have that joker roll out there in the driveway or something. So we got that done. Dad victory number one. Number two was once we got inside the house, we have two dogs. We had a miniature um, Dotson, one of the Winnie dogs that's like that long and that tall. 
Um, and then we had a chihuahua mixed with something. I don't know what it's mixed with. Uh, but we had two dogs, and we thought, we got to get this baby introduced to these dogs without the dogs jumping on to TJ. So we walked in safely, I think, and set the kid down and kind of let the dogs go over there and smell of, of the baby. They didn't bark. They didn't growl. They didn't jump. It was wonderful. It was great. Dad victory number two. Number three, our third goal, was simply to keep TJ alive until his first doctor's appointment, right? Like that was a couple days later after we got home. I think it may have been like Sunday or Monday, whatever day it was, after we got home. And our only goal was to do everything possible to make sure when we go to that doctor's appointment, he's okay. Anything that happens after that, we didn't care, right? I don't care, whatever. I'm joking. But we wanted to make sure that first doctor's appointment, he's healthy, he's gained a couple of we- he's gained a little bit of weight, he's getting fed. We didn't get no sleep. But he slept a little bit, um, and everything was good. So we went to the doctor's appointment, and it was wonderful. Check dad victory number three. We completed our three goals when we brought TJ home. Over the past six years, everything that TJ knows, he learned from us and from somebody around him. We're finding out now that he's in kindergarten. He's learning much more from his buddies at school. (laughs) than what he has, what he's maybe picking up at home. We're hearing all sorts of stuff that come home from school, and I love it. I love it so much because if it's something that I don't agree with, I'll go to the bathroom after he says it and let Callie take care of it, or I'll go outside to get something out of my car, wash my hands of it, let mom take care of anything that comes back home that we don't want in our home. So um, over the six years, he knows how to use a fork now because we taught him how to hold a fork, right? He knows how to use the bathroom all by himself because we taught him how to use the bathroom all by himself. He was, uh, we were responsible for everything that he knows and that he can do. Now, six years later, we're at the point where TJ pretty much takes care of himself. Like in the mornings, I'm on daddy duty in the mornings. All I do is see TJ, go put your clothes on. TJ, brush your teeth. TJ, get your jacket. TJ, put your shoes on. And then we go to school. I don't do anything else. He can take care of himself. All I do is try to keep him focused in the right direction, keep that six-year-old mind focused as well as it can in the right direction so that we're not late to school and I don't have to make the walk of shame into the school and sign the tardy paper um, every morning of the week. Um, It's wonderful. It's great. Kelly and I love being parents. Now, You look at TJ now and you see all the stuff that he can do, that he's learned how to do, that he's grown into doing, and that is a good thing. Amen? That shows a couple things. That shows, one, that Callie and I have done a pretty good job so far. Two, it shows that TJ is growing up. He's more responsible at six than he was at three. He can do more for himself at six than what he could at three. And it just simply shows that he is maturing and growing up. And that is a great and wonderful and awesome and amazing thing. In our physical lives, that is good, right? We shouldn't be, I shouldn't be standing here at 40 years old um, having to have somebody help me go to the bathroom, right? Unless we obviously have some physical ailments that we can't help. Physically, we should grow up and take responsibility and mature and take care of ourselves. Amen? Amen. Physically, that's what we want to do. Spiritually, that's a problem. Spiritually, 
that's a problem. When we try to take care of ourselves, when we try to do everything on our own, we always, always, always get ourselves in trouble. We see this, this principle, we see this truth played out in Genesis 16. Let me give you a little background before we get there in Genesis 16. Abraham, we talked about last week, was called by God to leave his home, to leave his house, to follow God into an unknown place. So he packed up everything that he had, his, uh, all, of his, all of his animals, all of his, um, what word am I trying to say? Not resources, all of his possessions. Thank you. You want to do this? You could do wonderful. You would do much better than me. Thank you. All of his possessions with his wife and his nephew Lot, they packed up. They followed God. Didn't know where they were going. Didn't know what to expect, but they followed God. God protected Abraham and Sarah when they, and Lot when they went to Egypt because of the famine. We talked about that last week. Uh, Abraham was promised to be the father of a great nation. In Genesis 16, we see that Abraham was 85 years old with no kids. His wife, Sarah, was well past the age of having kids. And what we see here, we're going to look at in a few minutes in Genesis 16, is they try to take care of their problem themselves. Physically, in our physical life, that's what we should strive to do is be able to be responsible, mature adults to take care of ourselves. Spiritually, that's a problem. Spiritually, that's a problem, and we see that here with Abraham and Sarah. God promised them, God promised Abraham to be a father of many nations, to be a father of a lot of people. God even said, anybody that can count the sand will be able to count your descendants. You will be the father of all that. Here, Genesis 16, Abraham is 85 years old with not one kid, not one son, to be able to start this family, to be able to start these people, to be able to start these descendants that God had promised him. So what we see in Genesis 16 is Abraham and Sarah, simply put, they try to do God's job for them. They say, listen, God's kind of slacking behind. God hasn't fulfilled what he said he was going to do, so I'm going to take care of it myself. Have you ever been there? You ever been a spot in your life where you thought, man, 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 I thought God would have showed up by now. I thought God would have moved this part of my life by now. I thought, I thought God would take care of me, and God hasn't showed up, so you tried to do it on your own. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. This is the great temptation of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Remember, the serpent told Adam or told Eve, said, listen, surely you won't die if you eat off that tree. Surely you won't die. God knows that you will become like him if you eat this fruit. Well, anytime we try to take care of ourselves spiritually, anytime we try to do God's job for him, what we're doing is we're simply falling into the trap that the serpent set for Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. We're falling into it in 2021 where we try to do God's job for him. That, my friends, is where we get ourselves in trouble. Let's look at Genesis chapter 16 and see what caused Adam and Eve, or Adam and Eve, what caused Abraham and Sarah, let's see what happened, what causes them uh, to get ahead of God, what caused them to believe that they can do God's job for him. Genesis 16, verse 1 says this, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. 
So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Stop. Today's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Today's Valentine's Day. Hey, fellas, can I give you some relationship advice? If your wife tells you to go sleep with an Egyptian slave, don't do it. Right? No, no, no. I don't think y'all hear me. If your wife tells you to go sleep with an Egyptian slave, don't do it. Right? Anthony, am I right? Thank you. Thank you. Keep reading. Keep reading. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build my family, build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Mistake number one. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Right there we see Abraham and Sarah trying to do God's job for them. God had promised them a family. God had promised them a child. God had promised them a kid. We see Abraham at 85 years old, no kids. Sarah's past the age of being able to have kids, no kids. Simply put, they tried to do God's job for them. Why do we do that? I have two things this morning I want to share with you quickly of why I believe that we try to do God's job. Why do we try to get ahead of God? Think with me real quick in the, in the Gospels. Remember when Jesus walked on water? Remember that story? The disciples were in the boat, and they saw this thing, what they thought was a ghost, come walking up on the water. Uh, and, of course, it turned out to be Jesus. And then Peter says what? Who remembers? What does Peter say? What you got, Pew? If it's you, call me out of this boat. And Jesus simply says, come, come out of the boat. Then Peter did what, Pew? Yes, yes. He got out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter did not get out of the boat before Jesus said what? Before Jesus called him out of the boat. Why is it that we think, why is it that we find ourselves sometimes thinking, I can just get out of the boat when I want to? Well, God didn't call me out of the boat, but I'm going to get out because I want to walk on water. Or we see Abraham and Sarah here. God hasn't held up his end of the deal. God hasn't held up his end of the bargain where he said we would have kids. I'm 85. My wife is too old. They, God, God slackened. God's, God, God, God didn't do what he said he was going to do. So let me fill in for God's slack. Let me fill in where God is lacking in my life. I believe one of the reasons that we do that, and maybe one of the reasons we see Abraham and Sarah here in that position, is simply they were filled with pride. They were filled with pride. Up to this point, Abraham had a lot of victories in his life, right? Think back to last week. He was able to leave his house. God called him to leave his house. He was able to leave his house and go to a foreign land and be successful. He was able to live through the famine that he found in that foreign land. He was able to escape from Egypt when he lied about his wife being his sister last week we talked about. 
He was able to get through a family fight with Lot. God had blessed him in the land of Canaan. He was able to rescue Lot when he was in danger. That's Genesis chapter 15, or Genesis 14. Then Genesis 15, we see the Lord made a covenant with him. Abraham had had done a lot of good stuff. Abraham was on a spiritual high. Abraham possibly were thinking at this very time, I've got some victories in my life. I've got some stuff that I've done. I made it out of Egypt. I got the land. I've got all these cattle. I've got all these possessions. I got all this money. I got all these workers. I've done some stuff. If God's not going to hold up his end of the bargain, I think I can do it. We'll just take care of it ourselves. Remember last week we talked about anytime you have a test, it's followed with a triumph. Every time you have a triumph, any time you have a victory, it's followed with a test. One of the reasons we have faith tests in our lives is to let us know that God is God and we are not. One of the reasons that we have faith tests in our life is to let us know that there are certain things in our life that only God can do for us. No matter how smart we think we are, no matter how wise we think we are, no matter how powerful, how successful we think we are, there are things in your life that only God can do for you. What happens is once we have these victories in our life, we start to believe that I won those victories. Pride puffs us up. As Paul says in Scripture, when we're puffed up with pride, we start to believe that we don't need God's help anymore because I got out of Egypt on my own. I got the land of Canaan. I got all of these possessions. I got, got through this fight with my nephew Lot. I, 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 and what happens is pride will lead you to believe that you don't need God because God didn't show up for you in the first place. He didn't do it for you before. You did it for you in the past, so you can do it for you now. Pride is the single most thing that will destroy your faith because pride takes faith out of it. Pride depends on you. Pride depends on your ability what you can do, what you have done, where you have been, how smart you are, and it completely takes God out of the picture. When we are filled with pride this morning, we cannot be filled with faith. I believe today there's a lot of people that when they get to heaven, they're going to have a rude awakening when they see that they're not good enough when they see that they couldn't do it. I went to church every week. That's good. Listen to Christian music. That's good. I prefer a little Bon Jovi myself, but whatever. I didn't say any bad words. That's good. I gave some money to some people. Great. That's wonderful. But there's only one way to get to heaven. And that is something that you can't do on your own. Amen? That is something that God, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, did for you. You cannot even start the Christian life with pride. You can't start the Christian life without admitting that you can't do it, that you need God's help, that you need God to do something for you, to forgive you of your sins, because you can't do it on your own. Pride will destroy your faith. If you find yourself today 
in a waiting faith period in your life where maybe God has promised you, where God has, has told you, God has led you to believe that better days are ahead, that victories are ahead, that God has, 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 has promised you a blessing in your life, but it hasn't got there yet. You're in that waiting period like Abraham and Sarah was. If you're in that waiting period, can I challenge you? Don't try to do it on your own. Don't think that you're strong enough. Don't think that you're wise enough. Don't think that you don't need God's help. Don't think that since you have these past victories in your life that God didn't have anything to do with that. You have that victory, you can get this victory as well. Don't believe the lie that you are more than, greater than, better than what we really are. I had a guy tell me years ago when I first started doing ministry work, he said, uh, he said there's going to be a lot of people that's going to tell you a lot of stuff. I said, okay. He said, some people are going to tell you how good you are. I said, I love those people. I said, let's keep those people coming. He said, you're not as good as they say you are. I said, okay, thanks. And he said, there's going to be some people that are going to tell you how bad you are. I said, I hate those people keep those people away he said you're not as bad as they say you are either and I believe today if we can believe the truth that we're not as good as what we think we are and we're not as bad as what we think we are sometimes but we can humble ourselves and realize that we need God's help that we can't do it on our own we didn't do it on our own in the past that was God taking care of it for us then and we are trusting God to take care of it for us now. Number two, second thing that leads you to, uh, to have a struggle during your waiting faith um, is you're just tired of waiting on God. God ever show up late for you? You ever been there where it seems like God's just going to show up late and you get tired of waiting? Abraham has waited years and years and years on God to fulfill his promise to him that he was going to have a son. God told him you're going to have a son, but never told him when that son was going to come. And we see here in Genesis 16 that him, and maybe even more so Sarah, became impatient while waiting on God. Do I have any impatient people in the house today? Yes. Welcome to my world. We're in this thing together, y'all. People don't like to wait for nothing, do we? I'm talking nothing. I'm talking we don't want to wait for the... Let me tell you something. If kids today had to wait for the internet to dial that dial tone and connect through the, the phone line like it used to. Now, you older people, you're thinking, we didn't have no computer. What are, you, what are you talking about? If you had to wait to open up the encyclopedia and find the, find the S's and then find the word you wanted to find, you didn't have no encyclopedia. Man, listen, people don't like waiting. I don't care if it's in line. I don't care if it's at a table for lunch this afternoon. People don't like to wait for nothing, and I am humbled to say I am one of them. I've gotten better with my patience, like the Lord has helped me a lot, but it's not great. It's really not great, but it's gotten better. We see Abraham and Sarah here are in a waiting period. Hebrews says this about being patient, says this, Hebrews 6, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised to them. 
Patience is the key, one of the keys to faith. God has the perfect timetable for what he wants to do and what, he, what you need to have done in your life today. God's not in a rush and God's not going to be late. God has the perfect timetable for what needs to be done in your life today. You know how he knows? Because he's God and we are not. Amen? Because he's in charge, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's God, and we are not. However, this week I got to thinking about Sarah and Abraham and tried to figure out why did God wait so long? Why did God wait years and years and years to fulfill this promise that he made to Abraham? And may I present to you an idea, a hypothesis. Is that the right word? Hypothesis, if you will. In Genesis 16, we see that Abraham was 85 years old, uh, and he got Hagar, the Egyptian girl, pregnant, right? You follow me? Give me a little nod here. I like a little feedback, sweet. Abraham, 85 years old, got Hagar pregnant. Could it be possible that God was causing Abraham and Sarah to wait because Abraham was still able to take care of himself on his own? What do you mean, Michael? Here's what I mean. Abraham was able to have kids. We see it because he got Hagar pregnant, right? Could it be possible that God was waiting that God was making Abraham and Sarah wait so that he could show them how strong and how powerful and show show them the glory of God himself. Could it be possible that if you find yourself in a waiting period of faith today, that God's not left you, God has not forgotten about you, God has not, not gone somewhere else, Could it be possible that you still have control over the situation and God is waiting till you have no control, till you're waiting till, like Abraham, you become a hundred years old, you are way too old to have kids, then God shows up and shows his power. There's a reason today that God's miracle is a miracle. It's because only God can do it. Only God can perform it. Only God can handle it. Only God can take care of it. What if your waiting time is not a waiting time, but it's God waiting to show off how good he is? It's God waiting for you to take your hands off of it and say, I can't do it. I can't get this victory. I can't do this on my own. I am not filled with pride. I have humbled myself. I understand that I need God to do it because God is the only one that can do it. What if the waiting period is a good thing because your miracle is still cooking? Your miracle is not ready. Your life is not ready for what God wants to do. What if the waiting period is God waiting and not us waiting. What if today what you view as God forgetting about you is really God setting you up? It's really God getting you ready. It's really God waiting on you to take a step back and take your hands off and realize, I can't do it. I've tried. I've tried to make this relationship right. I can't do it. 
I've tried to find a job. I can't do it. I've tried to pay this bill. The money's not there. Instead of us trying harder, what if it's God waiting for you to take your hands off and let him show you how great he is? Because God did keep his promise to Abraham. He waited another 15 years till Abraham was 100 years old when Abraham was past the age of being able to have kids. When Abraham physically could not have kids anymore, that's when God showed up. What if God is waiting on the desperation? What if God is waiting on your, on your desperate plea to him so that he can show you how great he is? What if your waiting is not you waiting? What if it's God's waiting? Waiting to give you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. For that to happen, y'all, we have to get our hands off. We have to leave our pride to the side. And we have to trust that the God of heaven, that our heavenly Father, will take care of our needs. Amen. Let's see, read the next couple of verses here. We're going to see how Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, see what happened to them after they tried to do God's job for him. Look what happens here, Verse, verses 4, 5, and 6. Abraham slept with Hagar. She conceived. Bad move. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. You want to see the result of you trying to do God's job for him? You see it right there in those three verses. What happened in those three verses? Sarah was mad at Abraham. Of course she was mad at Abraham. He slept with the slave. That's why I told you, boys, if your wife ever suggests that you sleep with an Egyptian slave, do not do it. Write that down. Put that on your refrigerator. Save that into your phone. Abraham was mad at Sarah. Abraham said, listen, that's your slave. She ain't mine. That's yours. You're in charge of her. Sarah blamed Abraham. Abraham blamed Sarah. Sarah was mean to uh, Hagar. It says she mistreated Hagar. And what Hagar do? She left. She fleed from Sarah. Whenever we try to do God's job for him, this is what happens. It causes trouble in our lives. It causes, it causes issues between not just you and the Lord, but it causes issues with you and the people around you. And then sometimes we may be like Hagar, where we try to run away from the situation. We try to get away from the situation. Guess what? That does not work either. Why? Because if the situation is not resolved from God, when you come back, that situation is still going to be there. Or chances are you may go somewhere else and run into the exact same situation at another place because you haven't grown from or been delivered from the situation in the past. When we try to do God's job for him, when we get ahead of God, we find ourselves at odds with each other 
We find ourselves mistreating people. We find ourselves being mistreated. And we simply find ourselves running away. So how should we respond when we're waiting on the Lord? The answer is one word. Starts with S and ends with submission. The only way that we should respond while waiting on the Lord is to submit to the Lord. Is to simply say, Lord, I'm with you. If you want me to wait six months, I'll wait six months. I'm trusting you. What Abraham should have told Sarah when she said, I can't have kids. I got an Egyptian girl named Hagar. Maybe she could do it. What Abraham should have done was to say, Sarah, the Lord promised. Let's trust in the Lord. Let's submit to whatever he wants to do through us. If it happens at 85 years old, if it happens at 95 years old, if it happens at 100 years old, let's trust in the Lord. When we submit our lives to the Father and we're in these waiting periods for God to pull through, for God to do what only God can do, when we're in these waiting periods and our lives are submitted, we're simply trusting that in this waiting period is not where the story ends. If you're waiting on the Lord, that is not the end of the story. That may be a chapter in your story, but that's not the whole story. There's more to come. Why is there more to come? Because God is not done working in your life yet. Everybody inhale, exhale. If you just did that, God's not done working in your life yet. It doesn't matter if you're 60 years old this morning or if you're 16 years old this morning. You may be waiting for a year, six years, or ten years. God's not done working in your life yet. What God is looking for from you is to simply submit your life, lay down your life so that he can do what you need to have done when you need to have it done according to God's timetable, not yours. Amen? Come on up, man. I'll close with this story. I read a story this week um, about a house. Father and son lived in this house. The house caught on fire. The dad was downstairs. The house caught on fire. Dad was able to get out. The son was able to climb up onto the roof of the house. While the son was on the roof of the house, dad was standing down below on the ground telling his son to jump off the roof of the house. I'll catch you. Imagine being in that situation, dad. You're telling your son, jump, I'll catch you. All the kid could see, all the son could see was flames and smoke and darkness. All he could hear was dad standing underneath him on the ground saying, jump, I'll catch you. However, the boy was too scared to move. The boy was too scared to leave the roof. His father kept yelling at him, jump, I will catch you. But the boy said, dad, I can't see you because of the smoke. And then the dad said some of the best words you're going to hear today. Dad said, you may not be able to see me, but I can see you. What's the point of that? The point of that is simply this. While you're waiting while your faith is waiting, you're waiting faith. You're waiting on the Lord with the Lord. 
Even in our waiting period, God is with you. Even during a time where you think God has left you or God has forgotten about you, God sees you. Even when you can't see what God's going to do, you can't see how God's going to meet this need, you can't see how God's going to fulfill his promise in your life, God sees you. God is the one that sees the end from the beginning. God knows you're waiting this morning. God not only knows you're waiting, God knows what the outcome of your waiting is going to be this morning because he is simply God and we are not. The book of Isaiah says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't see the end in the waiting, but God knows the end while we are waiting. And we are waiting on God with God. And God sees you today. Amen? Please know today, please be encouraged and challenged today. That while your faith is waiting on the Lord, you're, no, you're waiting with the Lord. You're not waiting by yourself. You're not waiting alone. You're waiting with the Lord. Amen.